This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Uh, this is Jamie with the Lightning Round Podcast, here to do my installment of my my top five favorite Chargers UDFA signings. So we are now three weeks in here at the Lightning Round Podcast covering the UDFA class. Garrett did his top five. Uh Craig did his top five, and now it's my turn to do my top five. Uh, for me, I'm trying to look for specific things here uh, as I'm evaluating these UDFAs. Uh, those things are, is there, a, is there a need at their position? Um, can they help on special teams? And obviously, what do I like on tape about them that's going to make me keep watching them and want to see more of them? Uh, and do I think they have an opportunity to make the team? So... As we talk about my top five guys, try to keep those things in mind, and I'll try to hit on those as I talk about them so we can kind of see what my thought process was and, and why I picked the guys that I picked. So let's go ahead and get into my list. So I'm going to start at number five, and I went back and forth on the number five spot between a couple of guys, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, those two guys were Mikel Jones, the linebacker from Syracuse, and Cam Brown, the cornerback from Ohio State. Uh I coming in, I thought Brown was going to be my top five, my number five guy kind of went back and forth, wound up settling on Mikel Jones. Uh, why did I wind up settling on Mikel Jones? Let's talk about those four points that we talked about a second ago, right? So first of all, I believe that the linebacker position for the chargers is kind of in a position of flux right now, a state of flux. And what I mean by that is simply that they just signed Eric Kendricks to a two-year deal. Who knows how much he has left in the tank? Will he be here for a year? Will he be here for both years? Either way, they're going to be looking to fill that spot once once he's done, whether it's in a year or two years. Um, we also have the uncertainty surrounding Kenneth Murray. Uh, really, there shouldn't be any uncertainty. This is a player who probably should not have a contract extension offered to him uh, once he gets through his fifth year. Um but we know the Chargers like their pet projects. We know they invested a first-round pick in him and other picks because they traded up for him. So will they be able to cut the cord? Will they be able to admit they made a mistake there? Who knows? But with that uncertainty and the uncertainty surrounding Eric Kendricks, plus we have um, Nick Neiman and Amin Aguamamiga, um, both of whom I believe are going to be um, restricted free agents at the end of the year. So a lot of volatility, a lot of uncertainty at the linebacker spot. So I really felt like that's a good spot where uh, a UDFA has a chance to make this roster. And I, I felt like Mikel Jones was the best of the linebackers in this class. So he made number five on my list. Um, 
So we've we've covered the need at the position. Obviously, I think there is an opportunity for him to make this roster. Uh, can he help on special teams? I believe he can. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, and finally, um, let's talk about some of the things that I liked about him on tape. So um, I think the things that stand out about Mikel Jones on tape, one is he's an extremely instinctive player. He's a, a three-year starter at Syracuse. He's seen a lot. He diagnoses quickly. Uh, Jones reads his keys and gets downhill in a hurry. He's able to slip blocks. And when he comes downhill, particularly in the tackle box, he is a fantastic finisher. Uh, he isn't the biggest guy. I believe he's around six foot 220, somewhere in that range, uh, which is, you know, pretty normal for a modern NFL linebacker. But as a middle linebacker, he's a little undersized. Uh, and still, in spite of that, he is able to get downhill. And if he gets his hands on you or he wraps you up, you're going down. And he plays behind his pads, does Jones, and he finishes tackles, physicality, all things that I like. He is not trying to wrap guys up around their neck or their shoulders. He's not going for, he's not trying to blow guys up. His job is to get guys on the ground. And he does that more often than not. He does not miss a lot of tackles. He is one of the more sure-handed tackling linebackers in this class. So um, big plus for him, especially after the last few years of watching Kenneth Murray try to wrap guys up around their shoulders and their necks and sliding off of them. Um, I also really like Mikel Jones' ability as a blitzer. Now, he wasn't ultra-productive from a sack standpoint as a blitzer, but watching him on tape, he anticipates the snap count beautifully. Uh, he is able to find ways to kind of ease or ooze or slip through the A and the B gaps really well. He just beats linemen to their spots, and he always seems to be in the quarterback's face as a blitzer. Uh, if you look at his numbers over the last two years, seven sacks, 19 tackles for loss. So those numbers kind of line up with a guy who is getting into the backfield and making plays on a consistent basis. Uh, his numbers did take a little bit of a dip in 2022, but he was really good with 12 tackles for loss and four sacks in 2021. So you can definitely see it there. Uh, some things that I think are going to be a challenge for him at the next level uh, and probably why he didn't get drafted. I mentioned the size. He's around six foot 220. So not the biggest guy by NFL linebacker standards, kind of more of the norm these days. Um, in addition to being a little bit smaller, he is not a great athlete. Uh, I, he had a well below average RAS score. I believe he was in the ones or twos um, with his RAS score. And these are things that you can see on tape. Uh, he is a playmaker inside the tackle box as you have to get outside the tackle box, outside the hash marks, outside the numbers his speed and his athleticism are kind of lacking. He has a hard time maintaining angles and, and finishing tackles outside the tackle box. He's not somebody who's going to chase people down from behind. He's not going to run people down sideline to sideline. His playmaking range is pretty limited because of his lack of athleticism. And I think that will also show up at times in coverage. He had a pretty good year in coverage in 2020 with four interceptions, did Jones. Uh, but those numbers really fell off the last two years. He really wasn't a factor against the pass. And I think he's okay in, in zone coverage where he can kind of sit in short zones, read the quarterback's eyes, and break on the football. Um, 
but I don't think he's somebody you're going to want in man-to-man coverage on a regular basis at the next level. So I think these are the challenges that he's going to be faced. So next question is, can he help on special teams? I think he can, uh, you know, depending on what happens with Nick Neiman and Amon Agbamamiga, uh, I think he is a guy who can definitely get downfield and make tackles on special teams. Uh, maybe you can use him as a protector as well. I think there are a lot of ways you can go with, with Mikel Jones as a, as a special teams player. And I definitely think as a backup linebacker, he's going to have to carve out his niche, uh, you know, kind of, kind of like a Nick DeZubner, kind of like an Andrew Gatchkar. He's going to have to catch on on special teams and earn his way on uh, as a defensive player over time. And I think these are things that he's capable of doing. You know, will he be, will he ever be a guy who's on the field, you know, for 60, 70 snaps a game? Probably not. Uh, Maybe you get him on in base defense in certain situations to help stop the run because of his tackling ability and how well he reads his keys. Um, But I think his lack of size, his lack of athleticism, and also some of the struggles he has getting off of blocks uh, are going to limit his ability to be, you know, an every down type player, or at least, you know, a regular part of a linebacker rotation at the next level. Um, But certainly, as we've seen, as we saw with a lot of the Chargers mid and late round picks, I think this is a, a young man who has a chance to help on special teams. And it seems like that is definitely a focus with the UDFA class and with the mid to late round picks the Chargers had this year. So that's my number five, Mikel Jones. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to number four. Uh, so my number four is Johari Branch. So if we're looking at those four criteria that I laid out, uh, is there a need at his position? Absolutely. Jahari Branch is a versatile interior offensive lineman from Maryland. Uh, He started games at left guard, right guard, and center. I think ultimately he's probably going to land at center in the NFL. Um, Can he help on special teams? I mean, yeah, he could help out, um, you know, on the line on special teams. That's a protector on kicks and and things like that. Um, Obviously, probably not somebody who's going to be racing downfield and making tackles. But, you know, as a blocker on the punt team, as a blocker on uh, on um, the PAT team and the field goal team, certainly an opportunity for him to help out there as a backup offensive lineman. Um, what, what did I like for him um, about him on film? Uh, so for Johari Branch, I think obviously the first thing that stands out is the versatility I mentioned. Uh, starts at both guard positions and at center. Uh, most recently in 2022, he started 20, he started eight games at center uh, for Maryland and re- just reading up on Maryland's season and their passing attack, which set a bunch of Big Ten records and school records. Um, he he was credited, Johari Branch was, with kind of jumpstarting the offense when he became the starting center. So he is a very good pass protector. Uh, he doesn't get a lot of credit for being a great run blocker, but I actually think he was a pretty good run blocker uh, at Maryland, um, particularly as an interior lineman. He's not somebody who's going to, you know, pull and get out in space and blow people up. But I think if you keep him moving straight ahead and more of a power running scheme, I think he's a guy who can climb to the second level and, and pick off linebackers and things like that and make plays at the second level. Is he great at the second level? I would say probably not, but I think there's some potential there. I just think, um, there's some technique issues and some athleticism issues they kind of need to look at uh, with Johari Branch. But the the big strengths for Branch are one, big heavy hands. 
He punches really well. Once he latches on to defensive linemen, uh, it's pretty much over. He's able to, you know, manipulate them, turn them, kind of control them with his hands. Uh, he's able to get to most blocks. He's effective as his own blocker in man. He's effective in power running schemes. He can get to his reach blocks really good as a combo blocker as well. Um, I mentioned, I like him in pass protection. I think he is better at the second level than he gets credit for or got credit for in the draft process. Um, but still some work there. I think, um, in terms of negatives, things that might have kept him from getting drafted, I think for Branch, you know, again, kind of like Mikel Jones, I think there are some, you know, some athletic deficiencies. He's he's not as low on the RAS score as Mikel Jones was, um, but you can certainly see in space when he tries to pull, he kind of struggles. He's kind of lumbering uh, when he's getting to the second level. If he can just run straight ahead and pick somebody off, he's fine. Uh, the second people start moving, trying to avoid him, if he has to change his path, his route to his his second level block, that can become an issue. Um, I think technique could use some work. He's a very, very strong individual. You can see very clearly the functional strength is there for him, for Branch. Uh, but I think where he struggles is because he's so strong, the technique can break down. He can kind of play upright, doesn't bend at the knees a whole lot, kind of bends at the waist or plays upright and tries to wrestle with guys. He's he's trying to grapple. Um, so I think there are some opportunities for technical advancement with Johari Branch. But I think the biggest thing that I like about him, I mentioned the things that I like on film. The biggest thing I like about him, honestly, he's not Will Clapp. And that's a pretty big plus uh, based on what we saw last year from Will Clapp. I think you've got a an experienced, versatile um, offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman, somebody who has an opportunity to grow into a larger role you know, kind of like McFarland, uh, the kid they drafted. I just think it's a, it's an opportunity to develop a player who played at a high level, who played several positions and shows an opportunity for development and can help on the interior line at the very least as a swing interior lineman, if not maybe grow into a long-term option at center. So, um, and finally for branch, is there an opportunity for him to make the roster? I think there is. Uh, I think there's a very good opportunity for him to make the roster. One, there's one. I think there's one or two years left on Corey Lindsley's deal. He's obviously dealt with some tendonitis issues in his knee over the last couple of years. Um, it seems like his body is starting to betray him at least a little bit. I think some of that can be mitigated with rest and things like that and treatment. But uh, how much longer does he really have playing at a high level? And, you know, with some some contracts coming up, particularly Justin Herbert's contract coming up here, um, either this off season or next off season, how much longer can they continue to afford a pay to pay a center top dollar? Um, I think that's the big question. So branch has an opportunity to step in, learn from one of, if not the best center in the league, um, take some time developing and kind of work on that technique and develop himself athletically. I think there's an opportunity for him to make this roster, um, as a backup offensive lineman. And I think we would all be thrilled if Johari Branch makes this roster and Will Clapp does not. So let's all hope for that outcome. Uh, my number three on my list is Campbell, Edge, Brevin Allen. So Allen, let's look at those four criteria I mentioned, right? Um, <clears throat> is there a need at his position? You could argue that there is not, but, but I believe there is. 
and I've been talking about this throughout the offseason. What is going to happen with Khalil Mack? What is going to happen with Joey Bosa after this year? Uh, with the contract restructures both those guys had this year, um, there is a very good opportunity that one or both could not be here uh, next year. So we will look, we'll wait and see what happens there. But even with the Chargers drafting Thule this, this year, uh, and even with um, Chris Rumpf on the roster and uh, Carlo Kemp on the roster, uh, I believe there is some question about the edge position long-term. Uh, to me, I think Chris Rumpf is really a fourth edge. He's a rotational piece, somebody who shouldn't be on the field all that often. Uh, could he develop more? Sure. Of course he could. Um, but we're entering year three. We haven't seen a whole lot of development from him as an edge setter, which is kind of a problem. Uh, and he's been inconsistent as a rusher. He's really just a speed rusher. There's really no, um, he doesn't really have a ton of counters. There's no power to his game per se. Um, I think this is a guy who could be on his way out in the next couple of years. So if you're looking at one or both of Bosa and Mac potentially being gone, uh, you're looking at the Chargers maybe moving on from Chris Rumpf at some point. Who knows what happens with Thule. Um, I think there's an opportunity here for an edge to make this roster as a developmental piece. Maybe be an edge four, edge five. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I do think there's an opportunity for an edge to make this roster. So what do we like about Brevin Allen? Uh, for me, I think the, the things that stand out about Allen immediately are his length and his power. Um, Allen is 6'4", plays around 265, 270, 34 and a half inch arms. So right away, he has the, the minimum threshold for length that you want in. He's actually well above the minimum threshold for length that you want in a, an edge player. You know, you're, you're usually starting at around 33 inches, but you really want somebody with those arms to be at least 34 inches long. So at 34 and a half, he is long enough to compete with most offensive tackles in the league. Um, he, and he won't necessarily have to be perfect from a technical standpoint to be able to do that because he's going to be long enough to get inside their pads, depending on how well they time up their punch. Um, Allen plays with a really nice long arm bull rush. He plays with a one arm and a two arm bull rush. Uh, Allen also has a nice inside, inside stab move and a swim move. Um, the, he plays with a great motor as well. Um, and I think, so I mentioned, you can see, you can see the length at the initial punch. You can see it with the stab move with the long arm bull rush. The length stands out immediately. Um, I think the other place where you see that length is in his finishes. Uh, Allen finishes well outside of his frame on a consistent basis. If he is, it seems like if he's anywhere near the ball carrier, be it a quarterback or a running back, and he can get a couple fingers on them, they're probably going down. Um, he has, I believe his wingspan, if I'm not mistaken, is 86 and a half inches. I mean, he just has ridiculously long arms and he is able to finish well outside of his frame. He's able to change direction and come back to the ball. Um, and you can also see some pretty good bend from him coming off the edge. I wouldn't necessarily say he's Gumby, but at his size, he bends pretty well and he's able to really soften and batter the edge with his hands. I think from um, you know some of the things that might have kept him from uh, from being drafted, uh, the technical side isn't great. 
for Brevin Allen. Uh, he doesn't have a ton of counters. And I think the thing is, is you can tell in certain aspects of his game, particularly when he's asked to cover, which is actually pretty impressive. And when he finishes, when he gets, to, when he finishes his plays, he is a very good athlete. I believe he ran an unofficial four five nine forty, if I'm not mistaken, something along those lines. So he can move. But I think watching tape, what you realize is his rush is, I was trying to think of a good word for this. I would say his rush is segmented. You can say segmented. You can say gradual. Uh, it's kind of piecemeal together. He's got the get off. He's got the punch. And he's got the finish. But he hasn't really put all of them together. And there are times where he gets off and there's almost like a pause or a hitch in his rush. And then he's got to figure out what he's doing. And he's got to find a way to get upfield and get to the quarterback. Um, he got away with that at Campbell, obviously, because he's playing at a much lower level. He's not seeing very solid tackles. And he can just run by guys at the NFL level. And he got away with bullying. I'm sorry, at the at his collegiate level, not at the NFL level. Um, and he got away with bullying a lot of the tackles that he played at Campbell. I don't know that he's going to be able to do that. So I think the challenge for the Chargers is going to be putting the pass rush together for him and helping him develop more of a plan and helping him develop counters. I think his hands are active enough and skilled enough that he can develop the counters. I think the question is going to be, can they take that get off and make it take it from good to great and can they make it seamless? Can they get that segmented feeling out of his rush and help him be more sudden off the line and be smoother into his transitions and, and help him get around the edge faster? Because it just seems like there are times when there's a bit of a hitch in his rush. And I think that's one of the things that really ultimately kept him from uh, getting drafted. Uh, Allen is a guy who had 20 and a half sacks and 38 tackles for loss over the last two years. Um, he over the, excuse me, over the last four years, he did have some ups and downs as his production was pretty inconsistent. And I think that's another reason why uh, he didn't get drafted a guy with his skill set and his athleticism probably should have been racking up 10 to 15 sacks a year at the level he played at. And that just isn't what happened. He was, you know, five and a half, 11. He had zero sacks in 2021 in four games. And then last year he had six and a half sacks. So very up and down, despite being on the field pretty much all the time. Uh, I do like the fact that he is pretty good against the run. He has some good lateral quickness and short area quickness to shoot gaps, uh, to, to hit some inside counters and get into the backfield and stop the run. Is he going to be an edge setter? I think so. I, he kind of looks to me like a, like a length and strength guy. Um, he's going to play long. He's going to play strong. I think he's going to have the ability to set the edge with some proper coaching. Uh, but he was a terror against the run, even when he wasn't getting to the quarterback on a consistent basis. So a lot to like there from a developmental perspective. Um, so that's, that's Brevin Allen. And let's go ahead and move on to my number two. My number two is Andrew Farmer, the edge from Lane College. And I think you guys are probably seeing something of a, of a pattern here. Um, I'm really focused on defense with my UDFAs. I think offense is pretty well taken care of. I know there's some excitement about Pokey Wilson, um, the wide receiver from FSU. I get it. He's fun to watch. I just don't think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for offensive skill players on this roster um, coming out of camp. We'll see. 
the, the one position where there might be is tight end, but I think running back and a wide receiver are pretty well locked up. But anyway, my number two is Andrew Farmer. And this is another guy who is highly productive at a very low level of play. Uh, over the last two years, Farmer racked up 17 and a half sacks and 44 tackles for loss, which is pretty amazing. Um, he also uh, had two forced fumbles over the last couple of years. Farmer is a little bit different on the edge than Brevin Allen. Farmer played some three technique. He played some four technique, some four eye. Uh, I think he's a guy who's probably going to stand up at the next level. He's he's smaller than Allen. He plays at 6'3", 245, 250, more of a traditional stand-up edge. Um, <clears throat> doesn't have great length. I think his his arm length is somewhere in the neighborhood of about 32 and a quarter or 32 and a half inches. So this is a guy who's going to have to be really, really good and precise with his hands to be effective because if he loses the punch, he's probably going to lose the rep more often than not. Uh, but I think what you see with, with Andrew Farmer is unlike Allen, whose rush is a little segmented, um, Farmer is a guy who gets off the law, who gets off the ball exceptionally well. Um, he is able to, if you don't get your hands on him in two block and two steps, he's gone. Uh, he's going to get around that edge. He's going to bend the edge and he's going to get to the quarterback. Um, obviously 17 and a half sacks, 44 and a half tackles for loss. He's a guy who played inside and outside. He's very good against the run. He lives in the backfield. And uh, reading some interviews from him, he is a guy who sounds like he's willing to do whatever it takes to succeed at the next level. He's talked specifically about playing on special teams. He talks about being able to affect the running game so teams don't want to run at him. And he is a very stout edge defender, in my opinion. Uh, even at, even at um, you know, 6'2", 6'3", 245, 250, he's still very physical and uh, very technically sound at setting the edge. And he's also very adept at getting into gaps, getting across the, the tackle's face or the guard's face and making plays in the backfield. Uh, the thing that I like about Farmer, which is similar to Allen, is he is an explosive finisher. He doesn't just finish when he gets to the quarterback. He finishes through the quarterback. And much like Allen, even though Farmer lacks the length, he is always finishing outside of his frame. He is able to bend the edge is farmer. He's able to change direction. Suddenly uh, he's always got his eyes on the quarterback or the ball carrier. And he always has a plan for getting there. Um, I think the technique for farmer is a little bit more advanced than it is for Brevin, uh, which is why his production was a little bit more consistent over the last couple of years. Um, and I think farmer is a guy who's kind of just scratching the surface. He looks like he could be, you know, be an edge, he could reduce inside and play some three technique in certain situations and, you know, in speed rush packages. Uh, I think he's a guy who's going to be fun to watch in camp. Um, so in terms of things that I, that I think might've, you know, prevented farmer from getting drafted. One is the level of competition. Uh, he only really had two years of playing time at, at a uh, lane college. Uh, he really did not see any kind of competition at tackle or guard. Um, he was almost getting to the quarterback completely unabated, which can make him a little bit of a difficult, um, a little bit of a difficult evaluation. Uh, the lack of length is certainly an issue. And we're just going to have to see how he handles, you know, lining up against legitimate athletic 
skilled offensive lineman because he just hasn't seen a high level of competition. And he was able to just simply overwhelm people with his athleticism at Lane College. And I think he's going to have to adjust to being a little bit more of a technician. He will probably still win with athleticism, but I think you're going to have to see much more of a plan. You're going to have to see the, the technique and the counters develop. And uh, you're going to have to see him become more of a complete player who doesn't rely just on the athleticism. Uh, last and not least, my number one, and I'm sure it's pretty much everybody's number one, but uh, there's good reason for that, is defensive tackle Jared Clark from Coastal Carolina. From Coastal Carolina. Clark is a monster. Uh, I believe he plays at about 6'4", 340. Uh, he has ideal length. He plays with power. Uh, he actually is shockingly quick for a man his size. It's not uncommon to see him cross the face of a center or a guard, shoot a gap, and get upfield to make a play. Uh, he, as a rusher, he is able to win with quickness and power uh, and, and his length. Uh, he has a great bull rush, a great one arm, one arm, long arm bull rush. Uh, and he is able to, when he gets his hands on people, he is able to batter people. Um, from an, from an, op, from, in terms of, can he make the roster? Is there an opportunity for him to make the roster? I think, I think there probably is. Um, the chargers defensive line room is fairly crowded, but I think there's opportunity to trim some fat there. In certain in certain spots, um, and I think there might be an interest by the Chargers to see if they can unlock Sebastian Joseph Day as more of an interior rusher. And in order to do that, they need to have somebody else playing uh, more of a traditional nose, um, so they can so they can unleash him a little bit more. And I think Clark gives them the opportunity to do that. Is Clark going to play on special teams? Probably not, but maybe they sneak him in to try to block some kicks. Um, so, you know, unlike some of these other guys, you know, I think Jones, Allen and farmer in particular have an opportunity to help on special teams, uh, Clark probably less so, but that's probably not as much of a concern with him just based on the, the guaranteed money they gave him and the fact that he was a priority free agent. Um, so some things that I think might've kept Clark from getting drafted. Uh, I think if you look at Clark on tape, there are. Um, I hate to say concerns, but I, it's the only word I can come up with right now. There are some concerns about his, his body, uh, to be quite frank. Uh, he's, is he a bad body guy? I, that might be a little bit harsh, but at 340 pounds, I think there is certainly some room for him to trim some bad weight. There is some, I think there is some, definitely some bad weight, some, you know, some chunk there that could be trimmed. And I think because he's a little top heavy because of the way he's built, um, he has a tendency to have issues with contact balance at times. He has some issues with, with frankly, just winding up on the ground more than he should for a man, his size, um, because he has a hard time keeping his balance when he's fighting his way through blocks. Um, it's not a huge issue, but it, it is definitely something that stands out on tape. And I think losing some weight would help with that. I also think, you know, he's a former tight end. Clark is a guy who played tight end at LSU before tra transferring to um, to Coastal Carolina to play defensive line. And I think his overall athleticism and his quickness and his explosiveness would certainly be aided by losing some weight. Uh, I also think he, he could use some help developing his hand technique. Um, I think when he loses the punch, 
he has a hard time dislodging the offensive lineman's hands. So just developing that activity and that, that, you know, kind of educated hands, I think is, is going to be a big thing for him. Uh, I also think uh, Clark needs to develop some counters and a rush plan. I do think, even though he wasn't, you know, highly productive as a pass rusher, he only had five sacks the last two years. Um, I do think there is some upside for him as a pass rusher. I think losing weight would help with that. I also think just learning how to get off of blocks how to fight through blocks and not stick through blocks would help. And I think developing some counters and more of a rush plan would also help. Uh, I think there's a lot to like about Clark. I think he is going to eat up a lot of space in the middle of the field. I think Clark is going to be a guy who right away will factor in on first and second down as a potential run stuffer. And the question with him is going to be, can he develop as a pass rusher? Uh, can he get himself into better shape? Because I do also think there are some stamina concerns with him because of his body, because of the weight that he's carrying. I mean, it's natural, right? You're two, you're 340 pounds. Um, that's a lot of weight to carry around for 70 snaps. He's going to have to come off the field at some point, but there are times, uh, watching Coastal Carolina on tape where Clark's coming off. He's on the field between the twenties and he's coming off the field in the red zone. He's coming. It seems like he's coming off the field quite a bit. Um, in the second half as well. So I think these are all things that he can work on and it all, it's all going to start with just getting into better NFL shape and taking better care of himself, which I think is something that a lot of guys struggle with. And a lot of guys have to learn when they get to the next level. So that's my top five free agents, guys. I really appreciate you joining me. Uh, once again, we'll go over the list. My number five is Mikel Jones, the linebacker from Syracuse. My number four is Johari branch, the center um, from Maryland. Number three is Brevin Allen, the Campbell Edge. Number two is Andrew Farmer, the Edge from Lane College. And number one is Jared Clark, big Jared Clark, the defensive tackle from Coastal Carolina. So that's it. I hope everybody has a great Friday. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for all the support, uh, for all the downloads, everything. Uh, we love you all. We're having a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to ramping up the coverage uh, as we get closer to, the, to, the, to camp and to the season. So thanks, everybody. Have a fantastic weekend, and we will talk to you soon.